Just stop it. The run-of-the-mill cheesy humdrum bullshit status quo just tires me out. What fascinates me are the industry disruptors, the superhuman frontiersmen or women with errors in their backs who go through hell to achieve their goals. They'll go through anything to make it. They bathe in hell and high water, a cut above. They're intolerant to mediocrity, the status quo, and yet they're the nicest people you'll ever meet. This is Disruption Interruption. Join me as we meet and learn from those mavericks, rebels, and business leaders that aren't afraid to piss off the establishment in order to make radical change for good. This show is sponsored by Johto PR, the disruptive anti-PR firm that murders your competition with cinder blocks and cyanide. Welcome back, everybody, to Disruption Interruption. I'm your host, KJ, and we're here today to talk to another industry leader that has steered off the lame, tired path of the status quo. Today's guest has been blazing trails in process and productivity improvement for decades. It's a mouthful, but he's a published author. He's a disruptive leader in processing and technology transformation, as well as an entrepreneur in fintech. I don't know how he does it all. I really don't, but we're going to find out today. (laughs) We're talking to him today, though, because of his ingredient for innovation that starts with the environment that you're in. Coming to us live from Santa Cruz, California, please welcome our disruptor, Peter Malik. Hey there, everybody. Thanks, KJ. I appreciate the introduction. Yes. And you know what? I didn't even really know like which title I should give you, <laughs> like your, your corporate gig, your entrepreneur gig that like, I, I didn't know, like you do so much. Yeah. Let, maybe, maybe call it an aspiring philanthropist and influencer of sorts. I don't okay, know. Great. Right. Let's do that. <laughs> well, welcome. So we're going to talk about this systemic problem in corporate America that stifles innovation. Right. But before we get into that, like, I want you to explain your main ingredient for disruptive innovation. Yeah, what absolutely. Is what is it and why is it that way? Yeah, I'll, I'll use one word again, and it, it's the environment, right? Again, that's around you that you create. This is something I, I kind of delve into more detail in, in my recently published book. I'm happy to go into it further with you in terms of unpacking that. Yeah. Um, because there are a lot of ingredients that go into an environment, right? Or, or that can be interpreted when somebody says environment. Okay, great. So why is it environment for you? Well, I mean, I think that every individual has a passion within them to achieve or accomplish or contribute in some way to something, right? And so the environment for me is about, you know, everything from, do you have that individual aligned to working on things that they're passionate about, right? Do you have other individuals working with them in terms of a team surrounding them that they know they can lean on and collaborate and can excite them as well, right? And that they know are there to to help in challenging times. Also, you know, it goes into things like, are you empowered and enabled with the right tools and knowledge and learning? How many times have you been in a role or a position where you might have been excited about the job, but you were just really bummed out or frustrated with how you had to get the job done, right? I think these are all barriers to really helping people unlock 
innovation, be disruptive, but just even perform at their best, right? Because the more they're stuck on how to get their own job done day to day and the challenges they're having and the frustrations, the more that closes their mind off to the ability to want to contribute and think about other ways to do things and improve and and go beyond what they're being asked for, right? So I think creativity, innovation really, really starts to foster and grow when individuals feel they're in a space where they're safe, where they're enabled, they're empowered, they're surrounded by others they enjoy working with. And then naturally, it just creates this sense of, I want to add more, I want to contribute more, and I want to be a part of something bigger as well. Got it. You know, that's a really good point. So we have these four points that you mentioned, right? Safe, enabled, empowered, and like working with. So we have this systemic problem that's happened in business. I mean, we we definitely have more of the opposite than we do of this, right? And it just like anything comes down from the top, just even in corporate America, like certain mores and you know ways of doing things kind of filters down like small businesses say well i'm going to mirror that because they're successful right so we have this systemic almost caustic environment and you know i've talked about this with many disruptors no one has ever said environment before but they've said you know we're not hiring assholes or <laughs> you know other things yep. that is all part of this you know problem but from your experience what is the status quo that really needs to be disruptive or disrupted, I should say, changed? Yeah. So, you know, I think that we need to move towards an environment that I think, again, I'm using the word environment. I think we need to look at holistically within how we operate. Have we created missions or purposes that people believe in and makes them? feel special? Can you trust? Have you created a trusting environment, right? So what is the status quo, this non-trusting environment? Yeah, I would say the status quo today is an environment that's very much still driven by carrots and sticks, right? It's very much a reward based on how you perform and how much you're willing to put in from a time and effort standpoint and what you deliver, I think, in most organizations. And so because of that, I think it's created this sense that I either have to sacrifice a quality of life and sell my soul, so to speak, to a company I'm working with in order to make a certain income that makes me financially secure or wealthy, or even to move up within an organization. Again, the status quo is the top achievers or the top performers are typically those to rise to the highest positions. And with that, you know, they now have the responsibility to manage and grow teams, which I think oftentimes they're not equipped or prepared for because that's not their strong suit in terms of who they are as individuals. Because they're individual producers and there's nothing wrong with meritocracy and, you know, producing, I mean, and getting rewarded for your production, right? Right. But now you're talking about moving into inspiring people to produce. 
And I sometimes have seen this. I've seen this in many cases. You know, there's some high level bastards that can produce, but they're not always the best leaders, right? So it sounds to me like if I had to distill this, that the status quo has been, you know, the production of people to higher positions, production, the promotion of people to higher positions based off of their personal production, but not really teaching them or educating them or helping them to be leaders and inspirers of others. Yeah, I think you hit on something really key there that that struck a chord, right? Which is, um, it's not that it can't be solved even with the individuals that are being promoted. It's what's the learning and development pathway to groom and, or even assess, is this person really right to be in this role? And if, if we think they have some of the qualities, but need some areas to work on. How do we, again, really make sure that we're setting them up for success in this role that they're going to be in, right? Yeah. I've seen this a lot in corporate sales. You know, you have a really high producer. This is a great example. Our listeners would love this. Mm -hmm. A really high producer, and then they get promoted to some sort of like sales manager or, you know, chief sales officer, so forth. But they're horrible at that. It's a punishment drive thing, which obviously you can't do with sales. Sales are too sensitive for that, right? And they do worse at that. They do better as individual performers, right? But I've, I've honestly never seen a leadership program for those particular individuals to become great sales right. leaders, right? And, and I know that that is the case in other aspects, right? Like yeah. you wrote a book about this, yeah. correct? Yeah. What's the name <laughs> of the book? The book is is called Perform the Path to Becoming Unstoppable and Achieving Fulfillment. And the premise behind that is this whole thing that we're talking about. Is that right? Yeah. So it starts with kind of the impetus behind kind of where I was in my life journey and career journey, so to speak, but pivots quickly into, I'll call it a a, a tool and a, a guidebook for individuals to assess where are they at? I even have a little self-assessment in there that you do at the beginning of the book. And then as you go through each chapter to unpack the pillars that I focus on, and I think I have six or seven pillars that I'm primarily focused on in the, in the book is really to help people understand, well, why is this a challenge and, and why is this so critical to solve for? And I use a combination of my own life experiences professionally, in addition to interviews that I conducted with entrepreneurs, startup founders, uh, CEOs, and execs at other companies, and then research that kind of support the pillar areas that I've kind of doubled down on in terms of what I think are the key ingredients to create this environment that unlocks individuals, teams, and organizations highest levels of performance and fulfillment. So on the flip side of that too, it's a tool for a leader, a manager, a leader uh, that has decision-making ability to say, am I creating this environment to attract and promote the right type of outcomes to where I'm getting the best out of the people that are here and they never want to leave? Because who doesn't want that? (laughs) Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want that? At the end of the day, they want more production. I mean, businesses do, right? And you know, how are they going to get that? They're going to get that better with happy people. That's right. And it seems so trite or cliche, right? 
because I, you know, I will even speak for some of my listeners. They're like, what kind of environment am I creating? Very passive, a very like, what's the buzzword snowflake? And I don't think that's, that's not it at all. Right. That's right. That's right. To give you kind of a little flavor of the pillars that I, I have considered the, the key pillars to creating this and you environment. you speak on this all over the world, right? Yeah. Oh, for so sure. So it's obviously right? something people want to know. So let's talk about the pillars because yeah. I don't know if we, do we have to ding in the message of the status quo? I think people know what the status quo is. I think everybody knows the status quo. And I, I, I think people can relate to that status quo as well. The only other thing I would maybe add to the status quo that has kind of transcended a bit with the generational times, if I can use that, is there is a little more of a sense of entitlement, I feel, you know, as we deal with like the Gen Zs and the and the Gen Xers, so to speak, in terms of wanting to be in positions of power and responsibility but not necessarily also being ready for it because they haven't yet been groomed or learned what it takes to be there yet, if, if that makes sense. You know, sense. I'm glad you said that because it's something that people think, but they don't say, and they might say behind closed doors, right? Yeah. Uh, is this entitlement factor? And then and it's, a, it's a reality. It's a reality we all have to deal with. Who doesn't want to be making the highest salary in the best position possible. And there are people that don't care for that, but there are, there are also many people that do, right? But, it, but entitlement, you know, assumes or connotates that it's owed to me, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. 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 And yeah. you're saying, you know, people say, well, you don't have the experience for that. And that's so broad, but you're saying the experience is the knowledge and the application of how to command an area with as much rationality as possible. I don't think the whip punishment drive is very rational. Right? No, no. Right? And, and there's something to say about, you know, wisdom, right? W wisdom comes with failures and learning fast, failing fast, gathering those battle wounds, as I like to call them, and scars from life and experience. because. To be successful, you fail hundreds and thousands of times. Amen. <laughs> right? The pain universe, somebody told me one time. Yeah. I was like, damn, that's right. <laughs> yeah. And it makes you a stronger leader when you've experienced that because you're, you're better equipped to be able to make those rational decisions and draw from the failures of your past so that you hopefully don't repeat them again, mm -hmm. right? And so I think that that's, you know, I, I remember reading this, the book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, right? I don't know. If you've oh, read yeah, that. I've heard of that book. I've never read it. There's a great chapter in it where it talked about people often want the outcome, but they don't want to endure the pain to get to that outcome. And I love that. And I'll give you a great example. I'm a big fitness junkie. Health and fitness has been a huge part of my life since as long as I can remember. It's part of my, my entrepreneurial path. I own a business and you know, strength-driven interval fitness studio in the area. And I have dedicated a, a large portion of my life every day to making sure I stay active and train with weights and my lifestyle around my nutrition. And I enjoy it right? It, it feeds me, but it takes a discipline and it takes 
a commitment. It's a sacrifice too. That's right. Absolutely. And so I love like, you know, what person doesn't want to be in great physical shape? If we asked a room full of people, right? I'm sure we would get at least 90% of the people that would put their hands up, if not everybody, and said, if today I could wave a magic wand and all of you could look in your best physical condition, would you take that? And probably 100% would say yes, but I think there's a smaller percentage that would not want to go through the pain of doing that. That Well, that's the next piece. The Bingo. question is, is, okay, what if I told you you still had to at least make it into a group fitness studio or go to the gym and dedicate at least 30 to 45 minutes to some type of strength-based training. And you would need to also make sure in a day that you consumed at least 150 to 200 grams of protein, 100 grams of carbs and 50 grams of fat. And you want to get to that ratio in a certain way. They're going to say, well, that's just too much work. There it is. That's too much work. Another great example. I adore musicians and, and I'm a fan of string instruments. I've always, always admired individuals that have musical talents. I've even bought a guitar and guitar lessons on CD, DVD, you name it, <laughs> YouTube. But every time I go to do it, I go, man, I have to keep practicing this. And I, I haven't been willing to make the commitment of time and sacrifice because it's painful on my fingers. I'm annoyed that I can't get the strings down. I have to tune it if I haven't used it long enough. And I don't even know how to tune my guitar. Right. It's those painful steps, even at that scale that, you know, I could become good at playing guitar. I'm confident I could if I were willing to practice. <laughs> yeah, what about being an entrepreneur? Like all the hats that you have to learn and yeah. the things that you don't know that you don't know that you have to figure out and exactly. having, you know, trying to grow a company and, you know, having certain things fail and then having to go in and pick up the pieces. And that's right. I mean, I've, I've been failing a lot with my passion project, I'll call it, and what I would call my transition into retirement, because I don't believe in fully retiring. I just believe you you find a place where you find your new ikigai, right? Your new sense of purpose of what you're going after, right? That's the Japanese yeah. term. And Japanese don't believe in retirement, right? Which is which is true, right? I mean, who wants don't to- Don't they just also be... plan like businesses like 500 or 1,000 years? <laughs> <laughs> like... so, so for- so for for me, right? Yeah, it's been a it's been a huge learning experience, but it's also been very fulfilling and very rewarding, which is kind of what I've been after. And so, yeah. So I I know I went down a kind of a tangent, but no, uh, it's really good. I mean, yeah. with wisdom comes experience, but experience includes pain. And you're talking about a fundamental principle of life. That's right. Right. That's right. So let's talk about the pillars. Yeah, the pillars. All right. So seven pillars, right? And the first is around creating purpose and a sense of love and belonging. So how do you create an environment that, again, really drives a purpose people are passionate and believe in and is bigger than the individual themselves, right? Mm. Because I, as I think human beings, we all want to feel we are contributing to some good cause, and that typically is not, hey, I'm making a company more profitable. <laughs> right, right. A bigger purpose than themselves. A bigger purpose than themselves, right? You know, I will um, give you an aside on that. Yeah, you know, please. Background is in crisis management, right? Okay. PR, yeah. Molding public opinion. 
And, you know, the very first thing that we do is we find out a company's in trouble. There's a lot of things we do. One of the things we do is we nail down what was the purpose of the company? Where did it get off track? And how do we ding in that message a variety of ways to elevate the brand back up while we're cleaning up the crap, right? So purpose is huge, huge. I will tell people that it's huge. It's not just a mission statement you put on your website and forget about it. So number one, I'm with you. Number two, what's number two? Number two is the 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 power of a pro performance team. So it's kind of lending itself to how do you create a team where there's the analogy I use is because I played sports growing up too. I rode crew in college. But if you look at a basketball team, if you look at a, a football team, any sports team, a soccer team, every athlete on that team knows where everyone else stands in terms of their position and their level of performance. It's completely transparent, right? It is. And so a big thing that I feel going back to your earlier question on status quo that we overlook in companies is we hide reviews from the rest of the company. I'm not saying you need to air every detail of somebody's performance to the entire company, but there's something to say about saying, hey, here's where you rate, but here's where the rest of your colleagues and teammates at your level rate as well, right? And they know where you are and you know where you're at because maybe you think you're the greatest thing since sliced bread or uh, as my wife likes to say, she's from Brazil. She says, you think you're the last cookie in the box? (laughs) I I love that analogy. I love that. Right? But then when you see the bigger perspective, you go, wait a second. Wow. There are other people that are at my level that are outperforming me and you may not know their names, but it makes you kind of take a step back and go, whoa, wait a second, what's going on here? Or, you know, there's, there's people that are way above me in terms of what they're delivering on. So what do I need to do to, to, to get there? What do I need to do to get more playing time on the field? Put me on the court. Don't keep me on the bench coach. That is a really good point. And there's more I go into, but that's just to give you a flavor of that. Yeah. Give me, um, give the audience, I don't want you to give all seven away. I want them to read the book. Give me the top three. What's the third one? The third one that I go into is around teams that serve each other. So how do you create an environment where, again, building off the transparency and how we're performing, but now how do you create an environment where, and this goes back to my earlier comment of a, a safe environment, but one where everybody is supporting each other, not competing with each mm, other. Yeah. And to do that, you have to reevaluate how you set goals and objectives. You have to reevaluate how you're rewarding and recognizing individuals for achieving that. Because if it becomes a common goal, if we succeed, we succeed together. If we fail, we fail together, right? Yeah. Without going into to the details of the others, though, I mean, I, I mentioned one earlier. There's a chapter pillar on having the right tools, knowledge, and learning to go along with that. How do you ignite creativity and problem solving? So what are things you can put in place to really help with stimulating and accelerating that creativity and problem solving, which kind of builds off the other pillars, but there are other specific things I get into. How do you foster diversity? And this is a broader diversity definition, right? It's not how many women do I have working in a company and how many of a certain ethnicity do I have working within a company? Because that that is, I keep it real. It's become a check in the box. Oh, it has a token. You know, here's the 
Yeah. And that's part of the status quo. It's like, and one of, one of the opening things I share is a very, very well-known fortune 100 company I worked for where the VP, when I was in a hiring process came to me and said, Hey, even if this person isn't the best qualified candidate, as long as they meet the minimum criteria, we need to hire them to hit our numbers for leadership. And I was shocked. It lets everybody down. Because, I was you know, shocked. the weakest link lets everyone down. Right. So, and then I get into changing the rules. That's my final chapter before I close things out. And it's about nobody likes to be in an environment where there are too many rules or where there's no flexibility with the rules that you're working with. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I get into some different dimensions of that, but it's about, you know, you need boundaries. Don't get me wrong. Right. There has to be some boundaries, ground rules, right. That you put some stakes in the sand on, but you, you also can over index on creating too much red tape, as we know in companies where have you ever heard of the, or read the article? There was an article years ago. I read, I mean, I seem like I'm talking about it as if I'm so old, but I I guess I am. It was probably 10 or 15 years ago. And it was called the $20,000 shirt. No. It may have been more than that. So don't quote me on this. But okay. in any event, what it was getting at is there was a, a customer support representative that wanted to give a client, a paid client that had a bad experience, a shirt as like a giveaway. Like, hey, let me send you a free shirt and whatnot. But the approval process that the individual had to go through internally and the number of meetings to get that T-shirt approved if you added up the hours and the cost of the individuals involved in making those decisions and saying it was okay, it equated to something like $20,000 or more. That's crazy. But that happens. That's another systemic problem, right? Another systemic problem, right? So again, so going back to the one word answer that I've obviously spent a lot more than one word describing environment. That's the environment that I'm talking about, that we have to figure out how to fundamentally flip over on its head, really get to what the right way to drive the culture and 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 revenues and productivity. I mean, it comes down to it. We're in business to make money. It doesn't matter who you are. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, let's just be very open about it. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree with you. I have an interesting question though. Yeah, please. When you worked at the Fortune 100 company and you yeah. that happened and you were completely shocked. I want to know why you were shocked because that is were you just naive? Was it young in your career? Which you, or did you have like I'm so interested in that? I think it was because of my my level of respect for that leader and having having worked for them that I just out of all people I didn't think that they would fold if I could mm. use that analogy, right? But at the end of the day, they have leaders they're trying to keep happy, right? And this goes back to if you want to survive in a company, we often, and this is something I talk about in my book, we often have to put masks on to be an individual that we don't want to be, but we know we have to be in order to be successful, but we're miserable underneath that mask. And when we go home, it gets vomited out on the ones we love and it affects us in our personal lives as well. So true. 
So true. Right. And so, you know, again, and, and that also going back to innovation and disruption, I mean, if we're not creating a healthy environment where it's not about, you know, working a four hour work week or whatever, right? It's, <laughs> it's not about that. I am a firm believer when people are passionate and love what they're doing and you've created the right environment, it's like the saying, if you do something you'll love, you'll never work another day in your life. Yes, but you also have to have these other ingredients. It's not just about working on something you love because you could be working on something you love and then all these other things aren't clicking and in place and you're still miserable. And yet it's eroding. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it may not affect you in the very beginning, but the longer you're there, the more time you're there and that surfaces, it eventually bleeds over and infects you. And, and, and then, then you become like, the virus. <laughs> and then you become the virus and you either, it was an interesting term that, that I read recently too. And this other article was fantastic, you know, with the whole great resignation now with work from home and yeah. hybrid environment. I, I forgot the term that was used. And I don't know if it was in a Harvard business review, but they were saying that people are silently quitting. And yeah. I don't know if you've heard this. This, yeah. this the, yeah. And silently quitting is basically, I'm still working, but I'm just doing the bare minimum. I'm just doing what's required to get by. I don't care about promotion. I don't care about bonus. I've got a steady income coming and then I've got some side hustles and I'm moonlighting in the background. And so that's definitely not helping with disruption and innovation. Now they're being disruptive and innovative in a different way for themselves. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I have to say they're responsible too for making the problem better. Yeah. It's not just one-sided, but uh, yes. That is what's happening right now. It's the reality. Yeah, 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 yeah. What was the turning point for you? Where was the epiphany that caused you to write this book and go forward? I was at Intuit. This was uh, about, uh, what now, almost three, three, four years ago when I had started with them. And I was super excited about this job. I took a pay cut, somewhat of a, I don't want to call it a demotion. It was slightly a lateral, but a bit, you know, I went to actually being in a role where I had just grown a team globally at VMware, was running a global team of over 20 individuals doing what I love doing. I kind of got bored. And so this opportunity with Intuit came up and it was an individual contributor role, but at a leadership level, I said, you know what, I'm going to do it. I, I'm Because I'm excited about the culture there and everything I had read and benchmarked about what the company had done. I had been a consumer of their product for over 10 years. So I loved their product and you know what they offered. So I said, why not be a part of that as well? That's awesome. And I believed in the purpose in terms of what they're doing to empower small business owners, you know, how they're they're helping create financial opportunities for both the little people and the big people, right? If if you will. That's a mission and a purpose I can get behind. I think most people can get behind. Right? So you, and you you drank the Kool-Aid, right, Lisa? I drank the Kool-Aid. It was good Kool-Aid. Two weeks after I joined KJ, my boss comes up to the manager I interviewed with for the role that I left my other company and says, hey, sorry, uh, this team is being dissolved and you're no longer going to be working for me and your role is going to change and you're going to have a new boss. And I think they just got hired yesterday. And I was just like, it was just, it just hit me. And I was like, is this really happening? And it dawned on me, not at that moment, but as part of that, right? And I'll get into some other details that I didn't ask enough questions. I assumed a lot of things in the interview process that I could have 
maybe raise some flags of my own that would have prevented me from making the decision to be in the position that I'm in now and having to, to face. But to compound that, right, when I met with my new manager, I was very transparent about how I was feeling about the situation. I don't, I don't hide my feelings. And, That's how you uh, really feel, Peter. <laughs> yeah, and, and I don't think that that probably got us off on the right foot, but I was hoping they would appreciate the fact that, hey, this just happened to me. And I'm really not that excited about this role that I'm being forced into, for lack yeah. of a better term. I'm sure you're a great individual, but I don't know much about you. <laughs> Right. I had an interview with you and, and, you know, and so I'm not feeling good about where I'm at right now. In any event, that only got worse where I, I was for the first time, I would say in a over 20 year career, I felt I was being targeted and bullied by my manager. And if I was asking for facts and data points, it wasn't being provided, but feedback from my internal stakeholders and customers was overwhelmingly positive. And for somebody that's always been a top performer, it's not to say, hey, there's going to come a time where you're doing something and somebody is not happy with it. I've been there. But if you've been a top performer for almost 20 years, it's kind of strange suddenly if you're just suddenly the, the underperformer, mm -hmm. right? Especially if you're in a role that you're familiar with, so to speak. And so I did my best, but I, I kind of saw the writing on the wall and, and I knew that the telltale signs of somebody either trying to corner you and push you out or just trying to make you so uncomfortable that you make that decision yourself. And kind of, it reached that crossroads at some point, but that was the point where I also said, you know what, I've always wanted to do something. I've always had that entrepreneurial spirit in me. I come from a family of entrepreneurs and, and just, I would say immigrant family. My parents are Greek Egyptian. They came to the US. They started a business here. My mom worked three jobs for a long time. They eventually went back overseas, my parents, but that was kind of ingrained in the environment that I grew up in is the sense of you've got to work for it. Right. Hard work. Put in, put in the time and you will you will see the fruits of your labor if you dedicate the time and you're patient. But anyhow, that was around the time where I said, I need to take matters into my own hand and get more control of my life. And thankfully for where I was from a career standpoint, financially, I had the ability to also make a decision and found something I was really excited about to invest in and start to carve that path out in terms of starting the first of the franchise. It's a franchise that I invested in, but a strength-driven interval gym here in California, it's the first in the California market, not too far from our home. And so it, was, it went back to what's to stop another situation like this from arising? Because you never know who your manager is going to be, or you never know when your amazing manager decides, hey, I'm getting promoted or I'm leaving. And then you get reassigned. And to use the words of a, of, a, of a mentor of mine, you just don't want your life and fate to be reliant or dependent on the boneheaded decisions of others. And so there's <laughs> things I can't control as a business owner, but it's going back to environment and work. I know what I put in, I'll get out of it. And yes, there'll be things that sometimes I can't control, but at least I'm in control of, of more than not right in terms of that so yeah definitely yeah. being causative over your life i love yeah. the hard work ethic that came yeah, and, the the and, the, and, the, and then the book piece just to go into that real quick i know i didn't answer that question was 
how do I write a book that helps them avoid as much as possible being in the same situation that I've faced? If I can help them to avoid that earlier in their career, in their life, if I can make that difference in an individual's life, even if it's just one person, I will feel like I've given back. Good for you. Right. And I've made mistakes in my past as a manager. We, we talked about this before we started the podcast. Like, I'm not a perfect leader. I've got a lot of things I'm still working on, but I acknowledge that. I own it and I work on it. But the thing was, is like, hey, maybe this was a wake up call to say, hey, have you ever done any of these things? I don't feel I was half as bad as the situation of some of the leaders and managers or that I had had that experience with that led me to, to depart and kind of go on this next chapter of my life. But I'm actually very grateful for it because with every failure, every challenge, we grow from it, mm-hmm. right? I would have never written the book if it wasn't for that asshole manager, right? <laughs> Yay, asshole! Um, I really wanted to write a book. I mean, I don't know if I would have done it as soon as I did, right? right. Yes, gay asshole. I would have never gone and finally pulled the trigger on opening up my own business, Yay, asshole again. Yay, asshole again. (laughs) Right? So I always wanted to do those things. But when you get comfortable and you're in a role and you have a steady income, you know, we tend to also, most people tend to be risk averse, you know, gambling with your money. It's time. It's, you know, there's a lot, lot on the line that you can lose. Yeah, there is. with, With risk comes reward. And I think also if it's something you really believe in and you love, inevitably it will be successful. Yeah. As long as you're persistent. As long as you're persistent. As long as you're persistent. I love the story, Peter. I absolutely love it. And I will say to some of our listeners, because I have heard and I have gotten feedback, we have some, you know, chief disruptive officers from fortune, large companies that are looking to create disruptive, innovative products. They listen to our disruptive innovators on these podcasts some of the behemoths are worried about their, you know, younger, more nimble counterparts superseding them. And one thing I will say is that there are two types of, I don't know, what I have seen empirically, types of employees or workers or whatever, right? You need disruptive innovators and creators when you are creating something new. And those are very different than the people that we need to hold the framework in place as you get bigger. And so you have to really delineate between those types of people and leaders so that you can disruptively innovate. Would you agree? Yes and no. So I I like this topic, (laughs) right? Because a lot of people that aren't in innovation positions or roles think that that takes a special type of talent or skill But I think we all have the ability to be disruptive and innovative in us. And why, what I would kind of volley back to you is why can't the ones that work day to day in the trenches be the disruptors and innovators? Aren't they in the best position because they're facing the work firsthand and they know best what's happening so they can give you some of the best ideas on how to maybe solve it? You know, that's probably the best comeback I've ever heard. It it does cause me to look at that and change my mind. And you know what? That's probably what makes you disruptive in what you do. And so I- Because I'm sure some of those guys would be like, hell yeah, I would be. (laughs) Right. Because I mean, here's the thing. The the bigger question, and it goes back to what we've been talking about this whole time is, 
do they feel excited about even sharing or mentioning their ideas? Do they want to put it out there? Do they feel it's going to be heard? Do they know that there's somebody that they can go to and provide that feedback to? Or do they, are they one of the status quo employees that's like, I've got some great ideas, but I'm not going to even bother because my manager is not going to care. They're going to tell me I'm crazy or they're going to say that I can't make that decision. Sorry. That's unfortunate. And so what happens is we've put padlocks on individuals' brains and restricted the flow of creativity and innovation and disruption. And this goes back to rules, right? We talked about there's a chapter in my book around rules, but you know, I, I love how this is all kind of flowing together is there's a book on creativity and innovation. And it talks about that somewhere around the age of, I think, 12 or 13, maybe a little younger, we start to restrict the innovation and creativity within a uh, child's mind or an individual's mind. And the reason for that, what's the number one question a three-year-old asks? Why? 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 And so what happens is over time, we start to say, because of these rules, because of this, no, you can't do that. Hmm. But who are some of the most creative individuals, if you think about it? Three-year-olds, four-year-olds, five-year-olds, because they're like, oh, what if we could fly this over the the house and then it could have this on it? And they they come up with these crazy, crazy and beautiful imaginations. And they're so fun to be around. Yes. And that's all still buried inside every single one of us. We're just big children at the end of the day. But what have we done? We've suppressed that. We've created a law, laws and rules and boundaries and constraints and environments that say, no, you're not allowed to think that way because that's crazy. Well, shout out to you, Peter. And, you know, I have to say I'm five years old at heart. So, (laughs) so, okay, again, tell our listeners the name of your book, where to get it, how to get a hold of you. Oh, yeah, for sure. So name of the book, it's uh, the formal titles, hashtag. So the actual symbol of a hashtag perform the path to becoming unstoppable and achieving fulfillment. You can get it on Amazon worldwide, Barnes and Nobles online, Apple both the ebook as well as it, it's ordered to print as well. If you order it, I think it's on prime. Last I checked, it's still got a five-star review. So Yay. let's keep it that <laughs> But, but again, uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it, you know, it was published in December. It, I think it's a great self-help book for individuals, but it's also a great tool and book for any manager or leader to crack open and use to kind of reassess where they're at, but also what can they be doing more of and thinking about as part of the design and execution of whether it's a startup, a small business, or a large corporation, things that they may want to rethink and reevaluate in terms of influencing and changing to create this type of environment that we've been talking about. So yeah, let's create it. 
And then in terms of getting in touch with me, you know, LinkedIn, I'm still fairly active on it, but uh, you can find me at Peter Malik, you know, just my first and last name. You'll see kind of a bitmoji version of, of my, my, uh, kind of your my avatar. Head, yeah, yeah, my yeah. avatar. Yeah, there you go. And you'll see probably the book title there. That's kind of a dead giveaway. But also if anybody wants to reach out to me, you can reach me through my email. I'll, 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 that's uh, Pete Malik at gmail.com. Somebody wants to reach out to me with an email or anything, happy, happy to correspond uh, by email. But this has been amazing. JJ, I've, uh, I, we could probably talk for days on this. We could talk for days. Yes, I absolutely right. love this. We'll have to do another podcast on your fit tech crazy enthusiast business. I want to hear about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, know, we're, we're, you know, on disruption and innovation there, I mean, it is, it's disrupting the group fitness industry because we've got professional athlete founders that are designing all the programming, but they've created this amazing platform that is really driving a consistent quality and making what I say, okay, trainers, good, good trainers, great and great trainers, amazing, right? So that we can deliver the best experience and help people move and age athletically and, you know, fitness for life, right? And, and so it's a cultural shift not a community, I would say that we're focused on because communities exist all around us already. You don't need to create another click, right? You need to, you need to proliferate within the existing communities, cultural change in terms of how, how we can embedder each other and ourselves. Right. So well, we will do um, another podcast on that. I love it. I love it. I love it. I'm excited. We'll, We'll have to get you out here so that you can actually take a class as part of the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, that would be fun. You know, I was a yeah. collegiate athlete and I'm a big CrossFit enthusiast now. It's like been doing that for a long time. You know, what's the joke? Like when you do CrossFit, talk about CrossFit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'm always into trying some. I've done everything there is. I'm always into trying something new. And where, I think where and where are you based now? Tampa. Tampa. So there yeah. is there is one of the locations is in Jupiter, Florida. I saw um, that. Yep. So if you're ever, if you're ever passing through Jupiter, you should go check it out and try to experience it. You'll see what yeah. it's about. And just so our listeners aren't like totally in the dark, cause they're probably Googling it now. What's oh, the yeah. name of the company? It's called Metabolic. Instead of metabolic, it's mad and then abolic. Yeah. And, and that the mad and metabolic mad for short, that represents our, our three interval styles or disciplines that we integrate into our programming because we're we mix up the intensity as well as the work to rest ratios that's some of the science behind the strength driven programming that we deliver as that's part so of interesting the well i can so, tell you're super passionate about I it i love it i love it's it it's fun awesome. it's fun it's it's energetic the relationships going back to the environment we're creating it's just people come in and it's a place where i call it switzerland we're not there to talk politics. We're not there to talk religion. We're not there to talk about anything. We're there to just have fun and improve ourselves. And well, there and it so, is. Yeah. Always back to the environment. Yeah. yeah That's yeah. your purpose, so, Peter. I love it. I yes. love it. Thank you so much. This has yeah, been, this has been fantastic. Yep. Look forward to our future podcast together, KJ. Yes. All right, that's a wrap, everyone. If you learned something today or laughed, go tell someone about this podcast and tell people to go disrupt their markets with some tidbit of this show. 
Thanks for listening to Disruption Interruption, where we transform lives, change consumer behavior, alter economics, and never accept the status quo. Ciao for now. Because we live in a highly litigious society with America being one of the top litigious countries in the world, here's our legal disclaimer. This advice is not intended to be a substitute for professional public relations or legal advice. Do not disregard seeking professional legal healthcare or financial advice or delay seeking professional PR or legal advice because of something you have heard here. Contact an attorney to obtain advice on any particular legal issue or problem. Use of this podcast or our website or any of its social media or email links. Do not create an agency client relationship between Joto PR and the user.